And welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 44. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week we'll be talking about the 2017 horror film Creep 2. Creep 2! A sequel to the film we did two weeks ago, Creep. Yes. The Creep So Nice. A sensible name for a sequel. (laughs) Podcasted it twice. Yeah, we did. We were so excited, and I was so glad. I'm so glad that we did because I'm so excited to talk about this. We had a lot to talk about, but before we do, if you're listening to this, you are on the other end of the 90th. Yes, Oscars, Academy Awards as the uh, congratulations. You're in the showbiz. The show you're in the future. Shows. You did it. Which means we're the- actually recording not on a Monday for once in our lives. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> secrets revealed. Uh, which means that we don't know. What's going to win if the Oscar? If Get Out won Best Picture. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I bring it up, uh, not just because we're a movie podcast, but depending on how you look on it, there are three, maybe two and a half, maybe just the one, uh, movies in the horror genre nominated for Best Picture. I think that's a stretch. Well, I think that there's there's a movie that I consider a horror movie that nobody else on this earth probably considers a horror movie. Okay, well, there's Get Out, which is... Um, yes, a horror movie. <laughs> Absolutely 100% a horror movie. And I think probably we both agree that the best movie of 2017, right? Yeah, it's number one on my list. Yeah. I guess there are those people out there who are like, Get Out isn't a horror movie because it's really good and, next, and it's no good filmmaking, so it must not be horror. Right. You, AKA the people that I will fight every day for the rest of my life. Uh, but no, Get Out is nominated, and also the best film of the year, unquestionably. Mm-hmm. Um, Should win Best Picture. Probably probably won't. Probably won't. But we can always have the dream. Uh, then Guillermo del Toro's uh, romance epic, The Shape of Water, isn't a horror movie. It's really not. But it is a monster movie. It is. And I think that, like, there are elements... I mean, I, I, I read a really interesting theory. I won't take credit for this theory, but I think it's a great discussion is, like... That it's a horror movie if the like monster is Michael Shannon. Sure. Like Michael Shannon's character, not the not the person Michael Shannon. Fuck you, Michael Shannon. <laughs> He's the villain of The Shape of Water. The actor Michael Shannon. Um, Michael Shannon's character is if he is the monster, then it it does play out kind of like a horror movie. He definitely has the the rage and the, yeah. there's a lot of shots where he is framed in a way that you would frame a killer. Um, so there's definitely that perspective, but it is not a horror movie from the point of view of like. It's protagonist, or like right. It's right, a love story. It's a love story, and um, it's it's worth shouting out here, both because Guillermo del Toro makes so many horror is a films, horror master, absolutely, and uh, it wouldn't exist without Creature from the Black Lagoon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to give it a shout out. Might actually win Best Picture. There's a chance. Hopefully, fingers crossed that it's not. Well, hopefully, Get Out a but. worse movie. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like it's if if the race is close, it's between two movies, and hopefully, The Shape of Water beats out right. the other movie that we shall not name because it's not a horror movie. And the third is uh, Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson's latest about a fashion designer in London. Yeah, that's uh, my that's my pet theory is that it's actually a horror movie in disguise. I I also thought it was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I guess fast forward fifteen seconds if you don't want spoilers, but. Um, the tension of it is absolutely like he is this like domineering presence that's very scary, and there's a ghost. <laughs> there is a there is a legitimate ghost, and one of my favorite lines of the movie um, that uh, Daniel De Lewis's character Reynolds Woodcock says is something about how um, he's not a, like ghosts are everywhere, and he's just not afraid of them. Yeah. So what I was he ain't afraid of, of no ghosts. He ain't afraid of no ghosts, and so what I kind of felt was that like it's almost a horror movie, but the people in it aren't aren't interested in it being a horror movie or they don't yeah. they don't see themselves in a horror movie even though that is it what they are in because more more spoilers abound about phantom threads skip ahead another let's just give it a nice 30 seconds yeah um there's a very good kind of twist of people having different characters having dominance over the other and it happens in a very kind of stereotypically horror way well it's very much like a uh, it's it's about the psychological terror right of of control yes um uh, and about like being I mean, in control and then removing control from someone else. And just the emotional emptiness of that house, I think, like, just leads to... I, I think that Reynolds Woodcock is probably a little stir-crazy. Um, sure. Because he's so, like, wrapped up. Yeah, he only cares all about, of the doors yeah. that don't go places and the hallways, and there's just a lot of fear. And there's a scene of them driving where there's just, like, the the trees are the ripping mist. past them in this like way fog. that is horrifying. It's so scary. Um, the, it's dark, and then it's only light in the car, and it, it is just, it's really frightening. 
Um, and the part with the ghost is really scary, but like Reynolds Woodcock is not afraid. Right. He is not scared and he is not scared of the psychological terror of being controlled. He welcomes it. And so like, it's a horror movie, but Reynolds Woodcock rejects the idea of it being a horror movie. And I think that's extremely interesting. Anyway, so, uh, three very good movies. Um, hopefully all the good people won at the Oscars. I don't think so. I don't think it's, I don't (laughs) think so. When has that ever happened? I can't wait for this to be so uh, uh, so dated. When the Oscars is my favorite night of the year, but it also makes me angrier than I am the entire rest of the year. <laughs> well, let's move on to um, the movie at hand. Well, one of the one of the best movies of 2017, I think. Yeah, which is Creep Two. It's in my top ten. Directed again by Patrick Bryce and written again by Mark Duplass and Patrick Bryce. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll say up front again if you don't want to know what happens in this movie which again if you you, haven't seen it you should go watch it immediately and avoid these spoilers right now go watch it come back listen to this episode it really is that good um Mm -hmm. so everyone's gone and we can talk about like (laughs) this uh creep 2 is um better Better than the original one yes it is uh which is you know a rare feat in its own right but also because creep is or was such a like singular interesting sort of uh mm-hmm. innovation on found footage and like again it, it, we, we talked so much in our last episode about like how it disturbed us and how it like really kept the tension going and then at the end you know that he is in fact a killer so like the mm-hmm. question is like how do you sustain where that do you go from there yeah for a sequel and the answer is you don't like worry about that tension because like right. this is a movie and we'll, we'll talk about the plot in literally a second but uh <laughs> It's not interested in playing with, like, not knowing that he's a killer. He, he Right. He doesn't just do the same thing to the next person. Right. It's like... Which it could have been, right? It could have been, like, a, a, a mimicry of it with, like, some new tricks up his sleeve or yeah. whatever. Which it, like... It... I was gonna say, it kind of is that, but it then it goes so, so, so into a different territory. Yeah. But, like, when it starts, you're like, ah, yes, what I have already seen but just a little bit deeper and more interesting. But it, it goes, like, way, way, way deeper and more interesting. I think that's the important interesting thing about this movie, and I promise we'll stop talking about it from a bird's eye view, <laughs> but um, it it being, like, this sort of meta, like, commentary on itself, like, with the knowledge of Creep behind you, yes. of the original, yes. of it being, like, oh, this is not what you're expecting. And again, in such subtle and simple ways that I just really, really appreciate. It's also not interested in being, like we've moved on from creep. Like everything about creep is essential in creep too. also. Right. It is very much like exactly what we wanted when we were talking about a last episode. Like I sure hope creep Two answers some of my questions and goes deeper with this. And I think that it does. I think that it feels very much like we just kept moving through the natural feeling of this story and these characters. We should also mention that uh, because our podcast is centered around Netflix, that um, it opens up with a Netflix Presents because it did premiere on Netflix in um, last year, I think December. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it opens with a cold open, which I say specifically because this is a more filmic movie than its predecessor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Dave, I guess, gets a box One in the of mail. One of those recognizable threatening packages. So wonderful. <laughs> uh, and we see the camera... Um, through the, the lid of the box, face towards him, but don't really know what it's attached to. He gets a, a, a DVD. Again, this is all very familiar that recognize it. He starts watching it. We can't tell what um, Mark Duplass is doing, which is a very big change from Creep. We just hear whistling. Yeah. Uh, the Peach Fuzz song. Did you recognize it at that point or only later? No, it wasn't. It was only later. Um, we hear a knock on the door and then uh, Dave goes to get the door and... Oh boy, it's Mark Duplass. It's Mark Duplass. Uh, he's a friend. He's a friend. They like sit on the couch together and he's like, I got this really creepy thing. What's up with that? Uh, and then we find out that it's a stuffed baby wolf in the Another familiar in the box. site. Yeah. Again, all, course, all just building on the, the tropes of Right. Of but creep. of course this was huge because it meant one of my questions from last week was like, is this what he does every time? You know, like, is this just formulaic? And it's not. He does do some more creative things of like, Clearly with this, they didn't have an original meeting of um, 
come video me at my house right. kind of stuff. It was like he specifically stalked him and chose him at a coffee shop. And they were they like met at the same coffee shop. We're reading, reading the same book, like reading the same copy of Infinite Jest up, of, of all course, things. Infinite Jest, um, clearly set up by Mark Duplass in order to you know, ensnare him, and then he befriended him, and then he stalked him alongside the befriending, which, of course, is so, so, so different from what happened with Aaron. So, uh, the scene, the scene continues, and, um, they, they move to another table with some, with some beers, and, uh, Mark Duplass, who we'll address in a second, but is, is going by the name Aaron now, um, which was Patrick Bryce's character in the first film, if you don't recall, uh, starts talking about, like, you know, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, Again, just repeating these beats. I gotta come clean. I've been filming you ever since we met. You know, our friendship means so much to me. Um, there's actually a camera here in Baby Peach Fuzz. That's the stuffed yeah. wolf. Doesn't he say, like, don't you think it's... Did you ever put it together that these started happening when you... When we became friends? Yeah, that you started getting, like, these, like, weird messages. Yeah, did you messages? connect that? Yeah. And it's very clear that Dave didn't, which, like, poor sweet boy. Like, why didn't you connect those two things? And he's in there freaking out. And then Mark Duplass is, like... Um, monologue changes a little bit and switches from like his you know the the familiar talking about like oh our friendship and like maybe does it mean anything is this worth it like are we actually destined for greatness as a friendship mm-hmm. um so i was talking about how ever since he turned 40 he seems to have like lost something like he's having uh he, he doesn't find joy in his work anymore and it's like oh i don't i don't know if i can do this anymore and as dave starts to get up uh Mark Duplass slashes his throat. Yeah. But then um, he sits there so dejectedly. Like... it didn't go how he wanted. Distraught. And he's like, God damn it, what's happening to me? Yeah. Um, and then we get credits, which... I, I, we, can, we can start here. Uh, this movie has, like, credits and, like, a, a score. Like, yeah. there's a soundtrack It plays here. a lot differently than... Um, um, again, because I think that, like, there, there's more artifice to it. And I'll, I'll keep returning to that, that theme. But, like, it, it knows that we've seen Creep. And it knows yeah. that, like, we know that this isn't a snuff film, right? That we're watching something constructed right. in a way that, like, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to pretend to be this, like, uh, firm found footage thing. It doesn't thing. have to be what P- Mark Duplass made and put in his closet. Right. It's different than that somehow. It is It is not as tight as what we saw with Aaron because it is not for Mark Duplass's pleasure. So now that we're through that, I don't want to move through everything as chronologically. Right. Um, I have kind of topics um and we can talk a little bit more we can talk about the set the setup for this but there's definitely introduce our characters yeah there's definitely like i want to move through this a lot more like discussing it raised a lot of questions uh and i want to talk about those kinds of things that the movie brings up more than i want to talk about like events that happened Mm. so our our the immediate the first thing that happens is that we see like a um montage of craigslist ads on the screen uh and we come to meet our a sensible protagonist who is uh, named Sarah, and she has a YouTube series called Encounters, where she responds to weird Craigslist ads, and I, I guess she's, like, trying to find weird or entertaining people, and, like, it isn't really clear, like, it wasn't really clear to what extent she wants to make it entertaining versus she wants to, like, get to some humanity and truth in yeah, them. Yeah, I think that she wants, she wants it to be interesting, but also touching, because I think that's why she specifically picks the kind of Craigslist ads that are like, I would like to be treated like an adult baby. Like, I want to be tickled. You know, I just want someone to talk to. Not the kind of things that's like, I need someone to come walk my dogs. Where you could still meet interesting people, it's more about, like, what is the weird stuff happening on Craigslist that is non-sexual, but is still... Right considered strange by society right? but it's her her youtube series isn't going very well and she's very frustrated no. by this she only has like three episodes right no i think she has nine. Oh, really yeah and, oh okay yeah it's not going very well uh and then she comes across an ad that we recognize as pretty similar to the setup of creep um i'll read it it says looking for a videographer a thousand dollars for the day honesty and emotional bravery a must fans of interview with a vampire a plus let's go deep together uh Again, we never got that, like, context in Creep, but we can assume that it's the same thing. Yeah, videographer of the day, thousand dollars. Yeah, that's like what we... We assume that he probably put things like emotional bravery a must for Aaron because his setup was going to be like, I'm recording this for my future child. So he definitely was, like, still... He's having that emotional appeal, right? That, like, this is going to be, like, a journey that we go on. It's going to be emotional 
kind of stuff. So Sarah ends up going to film her, uh, I guess, last episode of Encounters because she she really needs a, a win because nobody watches her show. And so mm-hmm. she hopes that she finds something interesting. But she says to the camera that this is raising all of her red flags. Uh, that she's like, yeah, I know, like, this is kind of creepy and I don't know enough about this person to really feel comfortable with this but mm-hmm. maybe I need to get outside my comfort zone maybe that's why my YouTube show sucks because I she, yeah she take more chances need to take more chances yeah. and so she goes to this house um, a different one from Creep uh, and the first thing we of see he's not stupid <laughs> is uh, our dear Mark Duplass with a man bun making a, a green juice smoothie <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with a with a big old beard yep. which he did not have in the cold open no he looks very different um but he's still going by Aaron, uh, and I think that we should probably establish, like, how we're going to refer to him throughout the episode. Yeah, I feel weird talking about him as Aaron, because it feels even more fake than calling him Joseph, because we know Aaron, we know who Aaron is. Well, we know he's not Joseph, too. But that's what I'm saying. We didn't know who Joseph was. Did he steal that from a diff- from another victim? Did he just make that up? Is it, like, a character that he likes from something else? We know who Aaron is, and... I want to also refer to, like, the real Aaron. The dead Aaron. Old Aaron. Old Aaron. Yes, that is what they refer to him as. Um, so, I don't know what we should call him. Do you say Mark Duplass? Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll try to suss that out if we talk about his acting or him as a, a person. Yeah. Um, so they meet up. He uh, immediately offers her a green smoothie, which she accepts. Uh, she's being pretty, like, honest with him. Um, and within two minutes of her being in this house, he sits her down, uh, camera on... And says that he is a serial killer. He just comes right out and says it. And the premise of his project is that he is, I guess, having a midlife crisis. He, everything he said in the cold open was true, that, like, he, um... Is losing what made him special. Yeah, he just, like, he, he's not getting the joy and, like, I guess, sense of accomplishment from killing Mm -hmm. people. Uh, And he wants her to help him make a documentary about it for reasons not entirely clear. And right, and we don't have the end of it either. We don't have the conclusion of this, which they will get they get into as they talk more about it. But like, it immediately raises a bunch of questions for us as an audience, right? Of like, why? What's going to happen at the end of this? Is he going yeah. to like turn himself in? Like, is he going to kill her? Like, does he just need someone to hold the camera while he gets through this? Like, what is his actual goal in this situation? Well, he does we give have her, no idea. He gives her a chance to bail. He says, okay, I told you this. You can leave if you want. Again. He, quote unquote, gives her a chance to bail. We don't actually know whether that's true or not. Again, it's all artifice. Right. Um, And says if she stays, he won't kill her for 24 hours. 24 hours. Uh, And two, that, like, he will give her, like, access to the deepest, darkest, most personal side of him. They will actually, like, go go for it, journey-wise. And that's, like, that's... uh, We're off to the races. Uh, The rest of the movie is them... I guess sort of navigating between um, making this documentary, quote unquote, and I guess figuring out their relationship to one another. Yeah, I'd say learning about each other because there are very specific points where like you realize that actually mostly him is in over his head. Like he doesn't actually know what he wants or what to do with this situation. And she has to be the one to guide him. And then, you know, figuring out what they now mean to each other and what that means for the end of this movie. Yeah. So we're just talking about that. Do you want to talk about sort of like a little bit of like what generally happens in this sort of first stage of them figuring out? Well, the first thing I definitely wanted to talk about was the fact that he's using the name Aaron. Okay. Um, it freaked me out a lot at the beginning and it raised a lot of, when it freaked me out so deeply when that's how he introduced himself. Like, or I guess it was even earlier when he do it, when Dave is talking to him and calling him Aaron, um, I think the first thing we, before we even see him, he says, Hey, Aaron. And then it's Mark Duplass. And that was like, it was like a, getting slapped in the face. Yeah. Um, especially because we lost Aaron. It was so fresh. We just watched creep. Yeah. And it was really hurtful. Um, and it also raised a question, right? Of like, does he, is that what he does? Does he just then like become his victim immediately? Or is it something special about Aaron? Because like, we know he loved Aaron the most. Aaron is his favorite. And so right. it raised a lot of interesting questions and also things I'll talk about later um, about what his process is in killing. What is he accomplishing? What is he like 
gaining from his victims. Well, do you want to talk about that now in terms of, uh, again, sitting aside... No, because it will come up later when we talk about something else. Well, one of the first things that uh, he does, right, is that he shows her... We should also say, by the way, uh, Sarah, who is played by Desiree Akavan, who is a director and actress. Um, she made a movie called Appropriate Behavior. Uh, she made a movie that's at Sundance this year called The Miseducation of Cameron Post that hopefully will get some mainstream attention. She's freaking awesome. She's excellent, yeah. Uh, She's got just enough, like, kind of earnestness, but also, uh, what's the word? She's dry, right? Well, specifically, she's not like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. She got she's very like dry with him. She holds this together so well. Like uh, throughout the movie, uh, she is like very much bantering with him. She takes everything he says in stride. He keeps trying to do the jump scares that he did to Aaron or mm-hmm. old Aaron, um, and, and presumably like, everyone. She's totally unfazed. Yeah, like uh, it like sets him aback. Right, like he doesn't yes. know how to deal with this person who isn't afraid of him. Yeah. Oh, he does a very interesting thing. Um, I don't remember if it's before or after what we're going to talk about next, but it's it's quick and it's related to what you were saying, um, where he he breaks off mid-conversation and is like, I need to be completely fully myself with you, and I think you're thinking about me naked and what I look like, so I'm just going to have to show you. He takes off all his clothes, he like poses for her essentially, like, and again, audience, it is full frontal nudity, it is legitimately... If you've ever been, if you've been dying to see Mark Duplass's dick... Watch, Watch Creep, Creep 2, because it's there. Um, and he, like, shows her, and he's very much... He's challenging her, right? It's extremely, like, animal and feral that he's literally just being like, look at this and be afraid. And she is not, at least not outwardly. And she's like, okay, thank you. You're right. That was necessary, so I should also do it, too. And so she's like, is it my turn? And she takes off all her clothes. He doesn't know how to react to that. He's like, time. okay. He has no idea what to do. Takes the camera from her. We see her take off her, like, shirt and bra, but the second that she starts to get, like, more naked, he takes the camera and, like, aims it up. He zooms it on her face. On her face. And it is the most, it's one of the most interesting, like, choices that we've seen Mark Duplass make. Yeah. uh, The character of, like, suddenly, like, he's modest. He's protecting her modesty for the film, which is the most... It's weird. Bizarre thing. It's one of the weirdest things we've ever seen him do. I mean, like, in the entirety of Creep and then the very beginning of this movie, like, it floored me. It was so interesting. Anyway, he, uh, one of the first things as well with this thing, uh, this is all sort of like, she agrees to do this, but he wants to, like, I guess make her aware that he's serious. Yeah. He shows her the... Scare. He wants to scare her so badly. Uh, He's desperate to get her to jump. (laughs) Uh... The end of uh, Creep, with the, the scene of uh, old Aaron sitting on the bench and Peach Fuzz coming up Joseph him, yeah. coming up and axing him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just as hard It's just as hard to watch this time, just, just so everyone knows. It's still horrible to watch. It was excruciating. Yeah. I hated it. Um, and throughout this, something I noted uh, is that he quotes Hannibal Lecter. She's like, uh, what's going to happen here? Like, what are we doing? And he says all th- good things to those who wait, mm-hmm. which is a Silence of the Lambs quote. Yes. Um, he also says the fucking creepiest thing I've ever heard, where uh, when... Uh, I rewinded it and watched it again because it freaked me out so badly. Uh, when, he's, when it opens and she sees Aaron sitting on the bench, she goes, who's that? And Mark Duplass does the best... The, Mark Duplass, the actor, <laughs> does the best, <laughs> like, casual, kind of half turnaround, the way that you would, like, talk to someone who's over your shoulder, and just goes, he's my friend. And it is bone-chilling. It is bone-chilling. It is the scariest thing he does ever. It freaks me out so much. That That's how he, like, I think he's being completely honest. That's his friend. That's, like, Aaron is his friend. That's just how it is. And it, it oh my god, it blew me away. I think in order to get, we like we said, we want to talk about this thing in terms of topics. So let's get through like the, the major story beats. They go out, they drive out to, uh, I guess like a, um, under a bridge, like there's a river. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, it's where he wanted to shoot some monologue about his like early life. It's a very funny sequence because the, the river is drier than he was expecting. He wanted mm-hmm. to be like up to his, his, his like his shoulders. shoulders. Yeah. And so he's having like a little bit of a breakdown of like, this isn't what I expected. And every time he tries to do something, the bird tweets or the airplane goes overhead or like, it's just not going the way he wanted, right? Like nothing is happening. 
the way that he pictured, and he has a little tumble temper tantrum and, like, goes away. Oh, it's absolutely a temper tantrum. Sarah ends up talking him down, kind of. At she least talks it, him down, and then she comforts him once the temper tantrum is ebbed. Well, they go to, they go back to the house, and, um, I don't know what's happening. She's trying to talk to the camera, and, uh, she can't find Aaron slash Mark Duplass. I, again, we know that Mark Duplass, the actor and director, is not a serial killer. Uh, right. It's just getting it's very. Hard. It's getting very difficult. She also doesn't believe he's a serial killer. By the way, right? You saying Mark Duplass is not a serial killer reminded me of this. She doesn't really believe him, and I think that is uh, important to know because it helps her not be fully afraid of him. She has. She still has reason to be afraid of him because he's still unpredictable, right? Right. He's still like probably Unhinged. out of his mind, but she's not really afraid he's going to kill her. Like even after seeing the Aaron. Uh, video. She doesn't really believe that that's what happened. Right. Anyway, he's like still mid crisis. Uh, she ends up finding him. She goes all over the house. He's in like a hot tub, sitting by himself, listening <laughs> to a '90s jam band song, pouting so hard. He's like, "You need to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. Just take the money and leave." And this is my favorite scene in the movie. But like, he's just like he's totally defeated. Um, and it feels real, right? It doesn't yeah. feel like he's like trying to trick her. No. And I mean, like we remember with Aaron, he wanted Aaron to stay so badly. He was even he, even being casual about it, even being like, "Oh man, like you're drunk. Why don't you just like?" But it was the desperation was so apparent. In this, he, I believe him. I don't believe ninety percent of what he says. I think and does she could have left. She, I think she absolutely could have. Then he would. I don't know what he would have done, but he right. would have. He would have let her go, hundred percent. Uh, because he was just too depressed. So he's sitting in a hot tub, and this this whole sequence is all one shot. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's a cut somewhere, like, three quarters of the way through. Um, I think that's that's more a factor of uh, them having to get another take than... A purposeful cut. Like, yeah, it, it meaning yeah. something plot-wise. I agree, because I didn't even notice it. Yeah, it's just a really long take. I, I think there was a cut. I'm almost certain. Uh, she, like, puts the camera down for, you know, part of it. Well, he starts telling a story about... Um, she's, like, trying to... I guess she really wants to get something out of him. Interview him, him. Yeah. yeah. She's trying to ask him questions. He tells a story that I will go through very quickly, but basically of his first kill, um, and of how it ties to this song that he's listening to, um, of how he found that he wanted to be a serial killer, that he felt like it was his destiny, mm-hmm. um, because he was abducted and then he ended up killing someone to get out of that situation. Uh... I also just want to note right here, so I don't forget later, that he refers to himself as Aaron in that story. Um, yeah, he does. And then she gets in the hot tub and starts, like, rubbing his, like, neck and, and shoulders. shoulders. Yeah. Um, and he is into it. He loves it. Yeah, he goes... Yeah. it's He goes into, like, a trance. Yeah. Uh, then she leaves. She goes to take a shower. He gets the camera and creeps up on her. He's like, oh... With a knife. He's like, oh, I th- thank you for helping me get my mojo back. I finally know why I want to kill again. Oh, my God. Uh, it creeps upon her in the shower, and she's prepared. She has her face all taped up uh, <laughs> to make her look monstrous and, like, jumps out and scares him. And runs at him. He he runs away from her, and she chases him around. It's incredible. Which leads to a part of the movie where they're sort of, like, I guess, like, they're playing this cat and mouse game, like, for fun of him trying to kill her, but, like... In, like, in a jokey way of, like, trying to find her, and then he's gonna kill her, and they're, like, running around the property? They're playing hide-and-seek, yeah. Yeah. And then, but when he, over, he finds her, he then, like, she then jumps out and scares him. Yeah. Because he goes up to the window, and she, like, puts her face in the window. At this point, it feels, like, almost romantic, because they're playing these games. They're talking while playing pool together. Uh, at one point, he, like, gets the camera and, like, walks up behind her as watching her do dishes. Mm-hmm. It's super domestic. It's, like, extremely, like, they've known each other for years. Well, except years. she's like, what are you doing? And he says, uh, just watching a deer being a deer. <laughs> but, like, it works for them is the weirdest part. He doesn't stop being creepy as hell. <clears throat> Fandom thread. <clears throat> yeah, no, legitimately. Um, it works for them. They, they. I mean, the, th- the thing about Sarah that's interesting is we don't actually know how she feels about any of this. She's just really good at acting. Well, let's talk about that now then. Um, Because this is one of the topics I wanted to talk about, Mm -hmm. which is that, like, we are not in Sarah's perspective at all. Because even though we're watching through her camera, uh, we know that he's a serial killer. Or, like, like, we know that he's a murderer, and she does not believe that. So she is so aloof throughout all of this 
And also, like, she doesn't really tell us what she's going to do most of the time. So, like... No. We, we don't... only have one moment where... I think it's after they watch the snuff film and before they're about to go into, into the woods, he's like, we're going to go. And she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Where she goes to the bathroom and then you hear her, like, hyperventilating because she is actually scared. And, like, he has frightened her, but she would never let him know that. And even though she doesn't believe that he is a serial killer, she, like, has a knife in her boot. She's yeah. She is being as careful as possible. So, but but from that moment on... We don't know whether he's actually ever scared her. We don't know if she's actually developing feelings for him. Like, a lot of that is still a complete mystery to us. In another conversation, they start talking about um, journalistic ethics in terms of, like, you know, intervention uh, in a situation when documenting it. And he reveals that he knows that she has a show called Encounters and that she has a knife in her boot. Um, he's already taken it, also. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. And he starts talking about how he always tells the truth. Um, I want to get into that later. But he, he says that earlier also. Yeah. Uh, he asks her, like, do you believe I'm a serial killer? And she says no. And he's like... She's, she falters a little bit, too. This is when he has actually out outsmarted her for the first yeah. time. Um, she did not expect that he was going to take her knife. And that has actually scared her. Uh, and so he's like, who wants to know why not? Uh, and she explains. And he says, okay, yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense for me to tell you all this and bring right. you here like you're right but it doesn't matter because tomorrow i will be dead because tomorrow like tonight you're going to kill me and that leads into this whole act of the movie which is uh aaron trying to get sarah to kill him mm -hmm. first he puts on the peach fuzz mask and lays down on the coffee table gives her the axe and is like here no really kill chop me. off my head yeah. literally chop off my head i sharpened it it's gonna go right through me just do it he's so excited too there's an energy that he is like finally discovered his purpose and what he wants to do and it's going to be so wonderful and he's so excited about it which is like having a pupil i guess he yes, wants to like yes, turn her. her into a killer yes um he's like okay that wouldn't work so he tries to hang himself he's like if you don't ha save me then you are complicit but it'll be easier but to it'll be do. easier yeah. to do yeah yeah and of course like she saves him and she's so freaked out she's really mad at him she's she's getting ready to leave after that mm -hmm. um and that's unfortunately another turn which is like she's she's so upset she's like that's really fucked up i can't believe you put me in that position he's like no i'm sorry i was wearing a harness uh of course i'm not a killer i'm just trying to give you what you want because like i know you want to make a really good episode of your show um and i'm trying to be that fucked up person that you want me to be yeah this is when it like it goes so i was so worried we were just heading right down the old Aaron path again because now she's trying to leave and he won't let her and he's turning on the charm. Well, at and, this he's, point, and he's lying. At this point, I feel like... Because, like, again, like, as as viewers, we know that he's a killer and now he's just trying to keep her there. And, and he's trying to trick her. It sucks. And he's lying. And he is... It starts to feel like he's actually... Because we, we don't know how much or if he has lied at all we don't know. since she got there. We have no idea. We have some idea later, but not now. Um, and so it, this is the first time we've seen him lie and it is really, really scary. It really like, I was so worried for her in this moment. Well, the first time with the dramatic irony of us knowing that he's lying for sure. He could have, everything he could have said, but it could have been a lie. But this is the first time that we know for sure that he's that it's lying. A lie. Exactly. Um, they play True Truths and a Lie. He says that he's never kissed a woman. They kiss. I don't understand why. Sarah is so stupid now. I'm so sad for her well, yeah i mean like she we never again and this is where we have no perspective from her they're sitting on the pool table together it's extremely intimate it's very childlike and sweet and but it doesn't come across as pity either in that like she's not just doesn't seem to just be doing it because oh how sad that he's never kissed a woman she actually even seems surprised by it because yeah. like it's clear that she finds him Handsome enough to... Mark Duplass is handsome. He is handsome to some. I find him terrifying, but you know, oh I get God. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's seen his dick. It's fine. Uh, you know, it's sizable. He could get whoever he wants. Uh, but no, he doesn't because... I mean, we also don't know if that's true or not. <sighs> but uh, they kiss. It's a very, like, sweet little middle school kiss, right? Like, it's just really nice. Then they go outside. Um, he's like, oh, I got something to show you. He says all the good things to those who wait again. Uh, they have a beautiful interaction here, too, that I adore. I guess. He gives her a locket that has... Not that. 
another guy in it. What are you talking about? The interact, my favorite interaction, the other one that I went back and watched again. Um, when they are at this point, like the most familiar that two people could be after only knowing each other for one day, probably even more familiar than that, where he asks her something about like, if she's scared, uh, or if, you know, she wants to leave or something. And she says something really sarcastic and kind of derisive, like, oh yeah, of course I'm scared. I'm out of here with you. And he just laughs. And it is the most like weirdly familiar, like friendly thing between them of the way that she can like kind of insult him like that. But he just kind of takes it in stride and it's just more proof of their like enduring friendship and love. It's very strange, but I loved it. They go out of the woods. Um, he gives her a locket. Uh, he says he didn't have a chance to make it specifically for her. We don't know if it's the Aaron locket or if someone else's locket. It looked like the Aaron locket. It seems like that's his That's his jam. Shows her a grave that he says he dug before she got here. Because he uh, didn't know if he was going to kill her or not. And I think actually this is the point at which like things really feel bad. Like it just It just feels like, oh no, this is just going one direction. Yeah. And then he takes the camera... And uh, uses her knife, and it's just a long shot on Sarah's face as he stabs himself. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, here, now you take it. We're going to crawl in the hole and die together like Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> um, he's like, don't worry, I'm not going to stab you. I love you too much. Here, take the knife. Uh, and she just runs. Yeah. She just bolts, Ugh, which is so smart. I love it. Um, and the next section is like, uh, they like chase each other around. This is your least favorite kind of found footage. Shaky cam. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Unfortunately, she doesn't really get away. She hits. He, we see him. He's he's weak. He's like he stabbed himself hard, in the stomach. Yeah, he's having a hard time kind of moving. He can't chase her, and then we see her sneak up behind him. Well, no, we we see him kind of just like clearly facing a tree, like look, you know, clearly out of breath and having a hard time kind of getting oriented, and then we hear a really loud kind of thunk, and he kind of falls forward, and we can you know assume that she is. She's him hitting him with branches. On the back of the head. Uh, the camera falls to the ground in a tussle, and then we see him chase her off behind a tree and stab her. Uh, and mm-hmm. we hear both of them groaning Screaming, as she yeah. gets stabbed. Um, Very sad. It's a cut to another scene where the camera is set up on a stump, uh, and we see him drag Sarah's body into this grave. He's down there for, like, a few seconds longer than you'd expect. Like, he's yeah. just... He's off-screen long enough that you wonder if he is gonna, like, land just there and die. Just lay in there and die, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, he crawls out, he comes to the camera, he's like, so I don't think I'm gonna die tonight, but, um... Sarah, you did it. You made a great episode of Encounters. Uh... I... I'm... I didn't... I really didn't want to kill again, but you inspired me. You're my muse. You, like... I got my, my smile back. Um... As we see her slowly crawling out of the grave behind him, just mm-hmm. again so silly. Patrick Bryce is a great director. I love yes. these like these these long shots where something reveals itself over. It's just like such an excellent, mm-hmm. excellent move, and he does it a lot. But particularly this scene and that climactic snuff film scene of Creep are just yes. like so incredible. slow. It makes you wonder if every moment something else is going to happen. Nothing happens fast enough. Like you're you're left with minutes where you're like. What's gonna happen? Is she gonna get him? Is he gonna get her? Like, is he gonna turn around? Like, what's gonna happen? Like, it's just the longest, like, so many questions. Yeah. So, uh, she grabs the shovel and thwacks the back of the head. We see blood splatter under the camera as he slumps down. Mm-hmm. Again, the the emotional whiplash at this point of like, who's gonna die? Of just like, uh, like thinking she was dead and just like feeling so distraught. Well, that this first thing he again. was gonna die. Like it happened first for him, yeah. right? Like then her, now him again. Uh, Smash cut to New York City. Yeah, presumably a city. No, it's New York City. Is it really? Yes. Because of the subway. Is that what they call it? What? They call it a subway? In New York? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've been to New York. We don't have a subway here. <laughs> it's called the subway. Here it's called the L. In, in, in France, it's the metro. Exterior day, a street in New York City. Her hair has changed. Walking down the street towards the camera. She does not see who is filming her. Who's filming her? We don't even really see like what's going on. I thought it was... Um, a thing from Encounters. It was, like, one of her, like, I don't know, some sort of, like, uh, just exterior shot that she was doing. Like, she was gonna put voiceover over. Mm-hmm. And then she's on the train. Mm-hmm. The subway. She's still completely unaware. Completely unaware. Uh, and then we hear the whistling of the Peach Fuzz song. And, again, yes. your heart sinks. Ugh, then there's, like, kind of a attention-getting whistle. Like, a short, like, yeah, you know. Mm-mm. Yeah. I get whistle, but it's the, mm-mm. And then she looks in the camera, and there's just, like... <sighs> The dawning realization. This look of, of recognition on Desiree Ackerman's face. But that's face. all you get is that 
literal split second of recognition before it pans away. It, yeah, yeah, it's out. Yeah. Uh, and that's Creep Two, which is a masterpiece. Um, it really is. Are there any more topics you want to talk about? Yes, I have a million. Oh, okay. All right, go into the first of your million topics. Okay. Do you want me to call the names I have them? Yes. Okay. First topic. Well, also I called him. I called him Creep in my topics. You called Mark Duplass Creep. Yes. Because you don't want to call him Aaron. I don't want to call him Aaron. I don't want to call him Mark Duplass. Um, I don't really like calling him Creep either. But that I don't is, like that. It is the most neutral thing I could think of. Creep's process. So all my questions, uh, not all of them were answered, but a lot of my questions were answered uh, from last episode where I was very curious about how he chooses his people and how he, like we talked about, makes sure that they are not um, connected to people in any way. How was that answered? I feel like none of my questions were answered. It wasn't answered, but he they do have a text conversation first. Yeah. Um, do you remember any of the particulars of it? Yeah. The first thing he asks is whether or not she scares easily. Oh, yes. I think that's very important. Because uh, if she said yes, I guarantee the conversation would be over. Right? Like, he'd be yeah. like, okay, cool, fine. I'm going to find someone else. Um, one unrelated to this, but it's still related. Uh, he does not have a real phone number. I think that is, like, very essential. It's like a, um, it's one of those, like, text 45261. Yeah. Um, which is genius. Because if you went to the cops, you could give them a real phone number. That would be a very easy way to track someone. Right. Can't do that. He's already thought of that. Great job, creep. Um, and I think that even when she is up there, it feels subtle to me. It's not obvious. It's not him going like, so you got a boyfriend? Like, it just feels like he's vetting her in a way that makes me feel like if she had come up there and he'd said, asked her a question and she'd given him an answer he didn't like, he would have been like, thank you for coming and just sort of ushered her out. And I think that like with the people who he has, um, I think, I do think Sarah's case is different. Even immediately? Yeah, because he, again, they have not said 15 sentences to each other before he says he's a serial killer. But she doesn't believe him, and he could anticipate that. Like, he could believe that if he invited someone up, and she said, and he said, I'm a serial killer, and then someone said, hey, I'm uncomfortable that I want to leave, like, maybe he would trust them enough that they wouldn't go to the police, and they would just, again, like, write it off as a weird thing. I mean, that's the advantage of, Who would go to the police and be like, I went to talk to a man, and he told me he was a serial killer? Like, I don't know. Very few police would be like, oh, that's a lead I got to follow up on. You know what I mean? Because sure. they, why would why would a person tell a person that, that they just met? And when, when he hadn't actually threatened her at all, maybe even if she'd seen the snuff film and it's what it, it leads to that question of like, would he let her leave after seeing that? Because even though she doesn't believe him, would a, would a police officer believe her or would she tell a friend and that right. friend would say you should go to the cops? Like that is leading to more things. But I think he really believes that he could tell a random person I'm a serial killer and they would never believe him and they would not go to the police. Mm-hmm. It also just confirmed, you know, the things I know about how, like, it's not always the same, right? Like, right. It's, we, we figured that out also with Dave, but, like, we know now that, that he adapts uh, that he adapts, and he has different theories, although there are these beats that are the same, right? Like, the wolf is the same. He probably does that to a lot of different people. And the locket, you know, like, and all, oh, um, there's a moment where we're in the woods with him and Sarah and they pass a tree. Um, and I had assumed that they were going to stumble upon the rock that said J and A on it. Yeah. Um, but instead they pass a tree that I believe says J and D. Yeah. Uh, so very interesting questions. Is he the J? Was he Joseph to that person as well? Um, is he the D? Like there's just all these different things. Maybe that was, maybe that was Joseph who he stole the name from. Like it does lead to more, you know, questions and the questions like I said about Aaron, um, is he taking Aaron's name because he loves him the most or because that's what he does after he kills someone is kind of like impersonate them for a while. Um, there's also an interesting thing with, uh, I can't tell if this is what he does, but he is telling uh, her a story about someone that he has killed once, and he calls them a quote-unquote big old sweetie, and he calls that person Buddy. And it made me wonder if that was Aaron. Right. And so, like, he has to give Aaron a different name, so he gives him Buddy, which is the name of the child who he had invented. So it all feels like it's all swirling around, right? Like, it's all nebulous, but he does make very specific choices um, in those situations. So that's, that's Creep's process. I don't feel like my, my, my questions were answered, but I did like the, like, the ways in which it was fleshed out, right? Like, there's a point at which they're talking, and he's talking about how, um, he feels like he 
again, with the caveat that all of this is a performance and a lot of it is deception, but, like, he starts talking about how he thinks he warns people enough up front. He mentions Interview with a Vampire in his Craigslist ad. Yes. And he says that, like, that should be, like, that should let people know that I'm, like, you know, dangerous uh, mm-hmm. if I'm asking you to do an interview with me. And, like, this is, yes. this is what we're doing. Uh, we're actually getting into my second topic. And he also talks, he tells the story of the axe out front in um, Creep One. Uh, that's the big old sweetie. That's what, that's yeah, what he's yeah. talking about. The big old sweetie who he like warned before he uh, killed him. Because there's an axe sitting out front in group one. And he says, um, you know, like, I, I, how much more clearly could I have telegraphed it that this isn't safe? Uh, uh, speaking of the axe, I had a thing I wanted to say about that too. And I don't know where, where this would fit in. Oh, go ahead. Um, topics wise, but it, I loved it. Uh, we remember in Creep 1 that, um, one of the things he does to Aaron is ask him, like, if there was a little part of him that wanted to kill him with the axe. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, is there a little, when I, when I jumped down and scared you, is there a little part of you that wanted to kill me? Did you think I was going to kill you with the axe? Yeah. That was out front. Um, and I don't remember when it is, because I just wrote it down as, as this line. Um, but at some point in the movie, Sarah asks, are you going to kill me with that axe? Or like, is there, is there a party that wants to ram it into my face? Yeah. And I was like... it's turning around, right? Like, that's literally this movie, and I I have another thing to say later about this, but, like, that's... Sarah is the Joseph of this, and Aaron is Aaron. He's still Aaron. Right. Oh, it's super, super interesting. What's the thing you wanted to say? Uh, Go to it now. Next topic is creep theory. This This was my favorite part of this movie, is, like, all the different things that I felt like Mark Duplass was saying that we're leading to like big questions because the story that he tells um, at what point in the hot tub, um, which his we, first kill, his quote, first quote. kill, uh, which we don't know anymore whether or not that's true because later in the movie he reveals that he was in an institution from age fourteen to eighteen. That's around when the story takes place, though. He's, I think he says... he's he, he was institutionalized from 14 to 19, and this story takes place at 18. And so they could... Oh, it does? I thought, yes. he said, I thought he said it took place at 14. No, he was 18, but he looked 14. Oh. That's what he says. Um, and so... And the story is that he, like... He goes to a concert. He is trying to hitchhike home. He gets picked up by this man who... Um, the way that uh, Mark Duplass describes him is like he is powerful, and I loved him, and he just immediately like was so captured by him, and I b- believe that like Mark Duplass got a lot of his charisma, I think, from this man, a lot of the kind of creepy, charismatic thing that he does to entrance people. It's a very classic kind of like hitchhiker story. The man takes him out to a place, you know, far off, and tells him to dig his own grave, and he's gonna kill him and bury him there. And I don't remember the specific details, but there's a scuffle that ensues, and um, Mark Duplass kills him. Well, specifically, he's like, uh, I admired very much about this man, a lot of things about this man, but you know what? He was not very good at tying knots. Not very good at tying knots. And so he's able to get the upper hand, and he kills him, and of course it fills him with this, like, joy... Uh, you know, joie de vivre of, like, he's discovered what he loves in this life. His destiny. His destiny. And I think that that was super interesting in one way because it was, like, do serial killers breed other serial killers? And that's sort of what he's trying to do to her, right? Is, like, pass the torch and, um, like, you learn from someone who's tried to kill you what that killing is like and in the defense of yourself. But to be fair, I don't think that's typical. I don't know. I don't know that. I mean... How do you know? From what I've read, true crime. You know, like, it's not usually, like, someone trying to kill you. It's usually the subject of, like, abuse or violence. But, like, it's not usually, like, someone tries to kill you so you kill them in retaliation. Sure, but how about violence breeds violence, then? Sure. I think that it's interesting for him of the concept of do serial killers breed other serial killers. The thing I found the most interesting about um, what he started to talk about, um, also in the hot tub during this whole conversation is that he has, he lied earlier to her about a, a beard pattern that he has. Um, and he told her that it was just the way that his beard grows, but there's a very specific um, patch, patch that is missing. And he tells her that uh, the reason that he he has a patch there is because what uh, the man who, who he killed, the first man who he killed, um, had a condition. I don't remember the name of the condition. Trichotillomania. Thank you where you pull out your own hair. Yeah. And so that's what he is doing. He's pulling out the hairs of his beard. And that I found 
deeply interesting because well, not just that you're you're glancing over the important part, which is that uh, he takes something from everyone that he kills. That's what I'm saying. That it's what he's he's talking about a very actually like common kind of discussion of murder, which is like absorbing the souls of the people that you kill, and that killing people makes you strong because you are the people who you kill are giving their lives to you in a certain way. It actually uh, it was is a plot point in um, a TV show that I loved uh, called The Following, where that is the basis of his cult, is that murder and killing, like, because you are absorbing the soul of the ones that you kill, are, like, uh, making, giving you strength in a, in a very, like, cosmic kind of way, in almost like a religious way. And I was very interested that that was kind of one of the things that he seemed to be playing with. I think that's interesting. I um I sort of interpreted that more in as I didn't really go that direction with it. I was thinking like he for me Joseph slash Aaron slash this character is very much about performance. And I felt in this movie even like made it even more clear that he's like performing being a serial killer mm-hmm. between like literally quoting Hannibal Lecter and like the the monologue he gives about acting in uh Creep 1 about being a failed actor and then here he's talking about like how he just takes on these other like these aspects of these other people just felt very much like in line with being an actor of like trying to like you know find this point of identification and then using that to like Do you think he's lying? I think everything he says is a lie. Uh, I just found it so interesting because it relates also to him taking Aaron's name. Right, no, again, because he, again, I, but I think it's because he's performing, right? He's, I think he is a uh, pathological liar. I of think course. He, I don't, he, I don't, we don't know if that story that he told about the first, his first kill is real at all. Well, I don't, th- I don't know or think that anything, he, like, I, I don't trust a single word he says, uh, aside from maybe that his existential crisis is real, but like, I'm not super confident I in that. I think there's a lot that's real because I genuinely do think that Sarah surprises him. I think, I so think too. that's real. So I think that the moments that we see him being vulnerable, I think a lot of those are real. I think that once he Do you think he wants to die? What would he have done? By the if... end, no. No, 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 not at the end, when he is he's reinvigorated by her, right? Like she yes. causes him to become a serial killer again. Uh I think that when, when he she... lays down and No, I think I don't think that he thinks she's gonna do it. I think that he thinks he knows her well enough that she's not gonna do it. If she had done it, it would have surprised him. Then what's his goal? to bond with her, to test her. He is testing her constantly. Uh, he's He asks her the kind of questions that if she answers correctly, he continues, and if she doesn't... And I think that's one of the things that's so interesting is the constant, like, does he want to kill her? Does he want to spare her? What... what She is special to him. So what is going to make her the most special? Is it that he kills her and absorbs what makes her special? Or is it that he saves her, or spares her, or lets her go home, or that they die together? Like, what? I think that he is genuinely touched, and and that he does love her. I think that what he wants from her changes constantly. And that's why it's confusing about what he believes or what he wants, because I think it changes a lot. I agree. I think that he's unsettled by this, but I think that, like, I, I, I think at the core of this is that, like, this is all... He's he's actually a murderer, I do believe that, but, like, it's still so much about the artifice for him. I'm thinking about, like, the way that he, he constructs these movies, right? Like, it's important for him to record, but not just to record it so he has this, like, proof or just, like, this thing he watch, but he wants it to be filmic, right? Like, he wants to make movies yeah. about, uh, and of course, I'm sure there's some, you know, metaphor in here for uh, Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass, both of whom are filmmakers, in terms of, like, finding finding a way to document that is artful. I mean, he specifically brings up the Francis Ford Coppola anecdote, and that seems to be a motivator for him. Yes. Uh, art. Art is he art, wants he right? wants to make art in killing. And even with the Romeo and Juliet thing at the end, like right, right. like it's about he's he's a beautiful he's, ending. Yeah. He's aping what he's seen to try to craft a narrative, to try to craft a like a performance, a performance of a murderer. Um, but I don't think he'd be satisfied if it was all fake. No, he likes to kill, right? right? But, like, I don't know that the right. reasons he likes to kill are anything related to what he's actually said. I think it's more reading between the lines of, uh, what is it, what, what is he getting out of this? The and, answer is, like, a performance. And what he's actually doing, the fact that he uses Aaron twice, this is, this is my perspective, is that the fact that he uses Aaron twice, that is a stupid thing for him to do. 
He has made... He's, by the way, confirmed 39 kills. The way that he's killed 39 yes. people is by being smart. And using the same name twice in is 40, not In 40 smart. years, too. In 40 years. Yeah, 39 people in 40 years. But he's 40. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. When he started, he was 18. Why are you assuming that's true? You think he killed people as a baby? You think as he was a, a baby Steph? As a people? teenager, for sure. Sure. Yes. Yeah. If he was institutionalized, which we don't know. You're accepting a lot of truth value in anything he says. I don't think he was at all Because I do... I don't think he's ever been caught for anything. I don't... He's too I'm cavalier. Not, I'm not presumptive. I'm not being presumptive. He's very cavalier. People are cavalier about being institutionalized. No, Ed he's Kemper was he's, very cavalier about being no, institutionalized no, 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 for no, 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 his no. teenage years. He's very cavalier about his method. Again, if if XYZ doesn't go according to plan, he would be caught immediately because of the loose ends that he leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he is not meticulous enough to... Like, his ego has gotten to the point where he hasn't been caught, right? Like, I don't think that he's had an actual scare of, like, people are going to get on to me. That's why he has the, the, the uh, hubris to sit someone down and tell them that he's a serial killer and expect that... But again, it's because some part of him knows people really well. That's how he's also able to do this, is that, like, he is not actually a sociopath in that way of, like, he doesn't understand how people work. He understands how people work. That's why he's been able to be so successful, because he gets people to trust him, and he knows what to say to ensnare people. And so, like, a lot of what he does to her here is that he does know her, and, like, he knows that she's not going to kill him. But he doesn't know her, and that's how she's able to su- surprise him. So she fulfills certain things that he expects of people, of human people, but she doesn't fulfill other things, and that's why he falls in love with her. And I do sure. think that his love for her is real. That is, like, maybe that's me being naive and, like, be- like believing the things that he does, but I do think he's that she shows him that he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Yeah, no, I, I there's something to that. I don't know. I think, like, I think we're, we're, we're going in circles here, but... Um... She defies his expectations. I mean, like, he... He's still such an enigma in all this, right? Like, I don't know how he survives. Right? Yeah, like, God, he's... I don't understand how he is alive at the end of this movie and still following her in a way that he's playing with her. Yeah. And and, and is that... Is that is he is he betraying her in that moment? Like, right. Is is he gonna kill her or is he back to just let let her know? Let her know or love her or be like we had something come to like be with me, you know? Because I think the thing that's really relevant to what we've been talking about is that like, like I said earlier, I think I briefly touched on this. He's sort of there's a lot of ways that he is like he is like old Aaron in this. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm buying into a lot of structurally that he has been duped and fooled by her in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and that like some of the things he says are true because he is Aaron and the one of the biggest he is Aaron moments is the very end not the uh kind of denouement New York part but the end when he is speaking to the camera he has turned his back on her and it's exactly what we're talking about the slowness of her crawling out of the grave the the fact that he has turned his back on her, even if she he really believes she was dead, the smart thing is right to take the camera and show her in the grave. Like he tr- somewhere deep in his mind, he trusts her. He it's not tr- trust. I think he she he genuinely thinks she's dead. It's not a matter of trust. It's I a think, matter but of I like- think there's trust there. I think it's the tr- it's there's there's some level of like it's trusting that she's dead. It's trusting something other than his immediate self sure. and knowledge and uh, instinct. But all she it's, does is defy expectations. Exactly. So. But like, it's the, it's him. It's him believing that he has gotten her for the last time and he hasn't. Right. And so that's a, it's an, an incredible kind of twisted moment of like, he is the quote unquote victim. Yeah. You know, and she is the powerful one. It's why the twist at the end is even worse of like, he's got the upper hand again, but we don't know what that means. It's, it's so terrifying. It's very hard, yeah. So I have one more crack theory. A crack theory? Yeah, it's fun. Don't take me too seriously. It's just something fun that I was thinking about. Um, it also might be an explanation for why he is not dead at the end. Oh. Yeah. So um, one of my favorite things that uh, this, this terrible man says is that he doesn't lie. Yes. And um, when I hear those words, I immediately think of, um, you know, the morning star, Lucifer, the fallen angel. The devil? 
the devil. Well, I think, I think of his, his more as a fallen angel, uh, especially in this context, um, because that is one of Lucifer's big lines is that he never lies in a lot of different pieces of media. Um, and the, I mean, the thing that's ridiculous about this person is that uh, he lies constantly, but he tricked me for a moment because when he said, I never lie, like with my victims, like I never lie, I believed him, even though I've seen the movie Creep, where he blatantly tells Aaron that he well, his point has is, a son. His point is like he lies with his words, but not with his eyes or his soul. With his soul, like he doesn't lie. He really loves these people or what not bullshit lies uh oh for the record we also don't know that he doesn't have a son he's wearing a wedding ring in this movie and it drove me crazy the whole time i couldn't stop looking at it why does he have a wedding ring i oh my god did I mark duplass forget to take off his wedding maybe ring? <laughs> or maybe it's just to do what it's doing to you which is make you confused it makes and me terrified crazy. um but so there's a lot like there's a lot of lucifer in that of the love the yeah, yeah, yeah lying but believing that it's not lying does he actually believe that he doesn't lie like right. how far does his this delusion go that he is really not lying, um, and then it, it also relates to the uh, you know they they want to die. He is an angel of death. He is an angel of mercy. He is just putting giving these people what they want, right? Because like, they they come to him to because die. they come to him to and die. And he warns them. They walk into it fully knowing what they're getting themselves into, and he gives them every chance to turn back, which we also know isn't true. He did not let Aaron go. Um, but are these things that he believes? Well, Aaron got away. And he didn't let him go. Like, he did not... No, but Aaron could have done more. That's the whole thing about that, specifically, is that, like, in Creep 1, Aaron could have done more. Aaron could have moved. Right. Aaron could have like, told someone. Aaron uh, could have pressured the police harder. Aaron could have done more, and instead, it led to his death. Which leads to, you know, the thought that he wanted to die. Somewhere deep inside, he knows that that was his destiny. Right. That Both of their, their shared destiny, right? So, um, that's my, you know, angel of death. That's a fun theory. It's fun. Yeah. And that's why he, he can't, he can't die. He's immortal. He's an immortal demon. That's also why he's so panicked about, you know, and maybe also that's why he's not worried that she's going to kill him because he can't die. Just saying. It's a thought. <laughs> Any last thoughts on Creep 2, which I think is a magnificent movie? It is a magnificent movie. I think that's it. I can't wait for Creep 3. I know. Uh, <laughs> confirming all of my Lucifer theories. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be the end of the trilogy, um, and who knows what will actually come out. But... I can't imagine where it's going to go. Like, what... The, Creep 2 is already so meta in what it's yeah. doing. Like, it's absolutely the perfect level of escalation from Creep. I don't know how they're going to go go higher than this. Yeah. And again, the fact that, like, Creep 1 is all about tension, and this one undercuts it in such interesting ways of, like... Yes. Again... And flips the, like, like I said, flips the script. Flips script, yeah. Um, can't wait. Uh, Patrick Bryce, keep doing amazing work. I wish he would direct more. He's only directed, like, his only features are Creep 1 and 2, and a movie called The Overnight, hmm. which I think is about a sex party. It's on Netflix. Ooh. It's got Adam Scott well, in it. Well, he does tension so well. Yeah. You really would want it to be... Also, this episode might be longer than the actual than the actual movie Creep Two, which coincidentally also happened during our other short movie Hellraiser Revelations. These movies are essentially like five minutes apart from each other. In this is a time. perfect length, though. It is, and that's what I was realizing is that like it doesn't feel like an hour eighteen, like it feels a lot longer, yeah. but also not in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's great. It feels exactly how long it should be, and that's very odd for the time that it is. Are you ready to uh, leave this for dead only for it to turn up again while we're on the train? Yes! I am, actually. All right. Um, Can't wait to see that creepy boy again. We're going to do a Creep 3 episode, right? Yeah, the second it's out. I think All we should right. do it like opening weekend. Yeah, so just expect that, guys. And then look out. In the meantime, let's go back to the roulette. Uh, yeah, maybe this will be our first, like, really bad one of February, <laughs> or of 2018. Oh, boy. Uh, so let's spin that roulette and uh, see what comes up. Our next movie will be... Uh, Before I Wake. I don't know anything about this. I saw trailers for it. Um, does It ha It has Jacob Tremblay in it, right? From Room? Yes, and it was, like, his first thing after Room. I actually, like, I'm not sure... Oh, Mike Flanagan. Oh! Our favorite. Oh, my God. Of Oculus and Hush fame. Yes, for those who, I love him. Well, I'm know. so interested. Who's the mom in this? Kate Bosworth. Yes. Okay, I'm okay. I'm intrigued. I don't know how I'm going to feel about this because 
the trailers looked both intriguing but also like one of those potentially kind of like disappointing just one of those movies that they roll out in theaters yeah. horror movies that you never really see um i hate to be I'm, obnoxious but it is rated pg-13 and uh pg-13 horror <laughs> movies usually aren't good <laughs> I would challenge that. I know. I know I'm being obnoxious, but... <laughs> okay, well, I'm... I'm. If it's bad, it's our first bad one of the year, and at least, like, we can talk about it in a, you know, kind of mm-hmm. sensible way. So, Before I Wake will be next um, in a couple weeks. I think he has powers. I think he has kid powers. Don't spoil it for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's in the trailer. Uh... We hope everyone enjoyed the Oscars uh, again. Yeah. It's most of what we're thinking about these days. Oh, Yeah. It's all I think about. All I do is just go on Letterboxd and just move the movies around on my list. <laughs> like, when I have to just put an official done stamp on that, it's going to torture me for years. Until then, please check us out on our website at NowScreaming.com. And on Facebook and Twitter at NowScreaming. Be sure to uh, tell your friends about the podcast and about Creep. And about Creep. I was going to say, tell your friends about Creep. Let's talk about it. Let's uh, discourse about Creep. And, uh, you know, talk to us on Twitter. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or a podcatcher, if that's a thing you do. If you catch pods. Um, <laughs> and thank you, as always, to Wes Craven for um, upping the ante with sequels. True. That, like, really blow the that's original of the water. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. Wes Craven. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Until next time, everybody, stay Stay spooky. spooky. Tell us what happens from the future. (laughs) If you're from the future, please let us know who wins the best picture. (laughs) Tweet us and tell us who won best picture. Because, yeah, we don't know. We won't won't know for the next four or five days. Bye. Bye. In the meantime, you can check us out on our... In the meantime, you can check us out... In the meantime... In the meantime... In the meantime, you can check us out on our... (laughs) You're not saying words anymore! In the meantime, you can check us... (laughs) Don't say in the meantime again. That's what I always say. Change it. I can't hear those words one more time. Until then, check us out on our website at (laughs) nowscreaming.com. I...